Well, thankful to be with you uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Judges, chapter 16. The book of Judges, chapter 16. We've uh, mentioned this, and, and, and we spent the, the weekend in Jackson at the... Uh, 2717 uh, conference where we looked at the the book of judges it was a it was a blessing to be there there was some tremendous teaching there i would encourage you to get on sermon audio if you have the time and to listen to uh to those messages it was um, again it was a blessing my my topic uh for the for the weekend was the life of samson and uh and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning I want to read in Judges 16, this is the end of Samson's life. He's been captured, his eyes have been taken out. He's become the entertainment of the enemies of God. And we get the close of his life here. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. Samson's been brought out again as entertainment. And it says in verse 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal and the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. This is the end of Samson's 20-year period as Israel's judge. Samson, who was um, uh, who's probably the most well-known, most familiar out of the, the judges, at least the story, character there. Um we get the story of Samson starting in chapter 13, moving through 16. Really, chapter 13 is just talking about Samson's parents and the angel who comes and tells his parents about what is going to happen. Um, But the handful of events that we have, I mean, I think this is worth thinking about. Out of 20 years... We get four or five events out of Samson's life, and we get, you know, barely any snapshots of what what happened over those twenty years. But as any sort of narrative goes, the writer is 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 giving us a synopsis, I think, of Samson's life based on these few events that are laid out for us in in Judges. And as we think about Samson and we think about his life, I mean, there's, there's some obvious things that come to mind. He was, uh, 
he was a, a mighty man. I mean, the Lord had blessed him with strength. He was gifted in many ways. But if we, if we move away from the portrayals of Samson that are found in the children's storybook Bibles, and we look at what Scripture actually has to say about this man, here's really the synopsis of his life. Uh, he's a man whose gifts far exceeded his character. And he's a man who lived a wasted life. Due to Samson's lack of character, he took the gifts that were meant to bless the nation and he squandered them on a life that was self-centered and that was fully devoted to self-service. And so the title for the message this morning is, is just simply Samson, A Wasted Life. One of the things that we learn from Samson is it doesn't matter how gifted you are, if you don't have the character to be able to steward the gifts that God has given you, they will not be used in a way that they were intended to be used. Your gifts were never given to you for you. Any gift that you've received from God was given to you so that you might bless His kingdom, that you might bless His people, and that you might build up His church. That's something Samson never really got a hold of. And so I want to think about Samson's life as a whole. And I think if you were to go through um, Judges 13 through 16, we were to kind of distill down the, the, the themes that make up what we learn about Samson, I think four things emerge as um, being uh, pertinent. We're going to think about Samson's life in, uh, in four words. The first one is purpose. The second one is pride. The third one is passion. And the fourth one is providence. So purpose, pride, passion, and providence. So if you go back to Judges chapter 13, we're going to read the first five verses. We're thinking about purpose here. Samson's purpose. Judges 13, starting in verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, before Samson was ever conceived, God had revealed to his parents what his specific purpose was in life. Number one, really there are two purposes. They each play on the other. But number one, Samson was called by God to be a Nazarite 
from the womb. And we're not going to turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can go to Numbers chapter 6, and the first half of that chapter will give you detail on what it means to be a Nazarite. I'm going to give you the bullet points on that, but you can, you can read it there in Numbers chapter 6. I mean, God was so serious about Samson being a Nazarite. By the way, a Nazarite, the Nazarite vow was a vow that an individual would take, and it was typically a vow that someone would take for a certain period or season of their life. So most of the time, people did not take the Nazarite vow for the entirety of their life. But God is so clear and so committed, I say committed, uh, He's so intent on Samson being a Nazarite that not only is Samson supposed to observe this vow, but while his mother is pregnant with him, she's supposed to observe it as well. So God couldn't have been any more clear as to his intentions for Samson. This is what it meant. This is the vow. This is what had to happen if you were going to take the Nazarite vow. Number one, at a number six, this is verses three through four, it was a call to a meticulous avoidance of wine and anything that grew on the vine. A meticulous avoidance of wine and anything that grew on the vine. Samson was not to be drinking alcohol or even eating anything, consuming anything that grew on the vine that would contribute to the making of alcohol. And again, in in chapter 13, even his mother, while she was pregnant with him, was to abstain. Uh, Number two, Numbers chapter 6, verse 5, he was called to never cut his hair. Part of what it meant to be a Nazarite was an individual who never cut their hair. Now, as you think about Samson and you think about his hair, um, you know, this, this vow to never cut his hair, you should not be thinking about long, flowy hair that... Um, uh, that looked hip and cool. Samson really probably, by the time he was older, by the time he was an adult male, his head probably looked a lot more like a lion's mane than it did somebody in GQ magazine whose hair were just flowing and, and that sort of thing. I mean, he would have been a wild-looking guy. You think about maybe some of the pictures you've seen of men in the Civil War or something like that who went a long time without a haircut, and they just look wild. So it's this call to never cut his hair. Number three, Samson was called not to make himself unclean by touching or even being close to a dead body. That's Numbers chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Okay, so whenever you think about Samson's calling, it was to be a Nazarite. Number one, that meant stay away from alcohol and things that contribute to making alcohol. Number two, do not cut your hair. And number three, do not make yourself unclean by being around or uh, in contact with uh, dead bodies. Very clear. There was nothing obscure about any of these details. Calling... Uh, That was his calling. And his purpose was that Samson was to begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. 
And that was the purpose of Samson's life. That was the, the purpose for which he was called. It was clearly articulated. Samson's parents um, had, had met a, a, an angelic being who communicated this, not, not just once, but twice. I mean, this was, a, this was very clear. When we look in Judges chapter 13, verses uh, 24 and 25, we read that the woman, that is his mother, bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. So a few things about Samson and just his... His blessings. Number one, out of this passage, Samson, it's, it's clear, it's stated here. Samson was a man who had been gifted and blessed by God. Gifted and blessed by God, really above all the rest of the people in the nation at that time. Secondly, Samson had been given God-honoring parents. I mean, if you read chapter 13, it is obvious they are very concerned with wanting to know what God says, what His purposes are, what His plans are, and they want to know how to do what they're supposed to do in order to fulfill those. I mean, they are God-honoring parents. Samson did not lack in the parenting area. And then third... Samson had received a direct revelation from God through his parents about his intended, about God's intended purpose for Samson's life. That's Judges 13.5. We just read that a minute ago. I mean, it was clear. There was no obscurity as to what Samson's life purpose was. And so let's stop here for a second. Um, you know, if you've been here very long, you you know this sermon is not really going to be about Samson. It's going to be about you. Um, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to receive a direct revelation from God about His intended purpose for your life? You, you know, you've received a clearer more developed revelation from God about His purpose for your life than even Samson did. Did you know that? Did you know that what you have right here is far superior than the angelic being that met Samson's parents and revealed to them what his purpose in life was? I mean, we can think about this in just three ways. I mean, we're going to skim the surface here. But number one, uh, we've talked about this before. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 tells us that we are, that is just humanity, created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. And while there's a lot that could be pulled out of that, that's a purpose statement. We've said before that in the ancient Near East, it was a common practice, this is just the way things went, that as a king and his people would overtake another land and another people, it was common that that king would erect a statue of himself there, his own image, so that as people came through, they recognized this man rules here. It's his value system that reigns throughout the land. 
And part of what it means, brothers and sisters, for you and I to be created in the image of God is that we were created to be a visible representation of the invisible God's value system. It's part of what it means. That's a purpose statement. We get into the New Testament and we find it honed in a little bit, a little bit clearer. This is for believers in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. But really, it's, it's just a restatement and a little bit more clarifying than what we find in being created in the image of God. We know we've, we've messed that up. But through the work of Christ, it's being restored. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His, notice the word, purpose. Called according to God's purpose. What would that be? Well, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. We're getting to the purpose here. Predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what it means for you to be a visible representation of the invisible God's value system? It means that you are becoming more and more Christ-like in your character. He is, Christ is, the firstborn among many brethren. And His brethren are being conformed more and more into His image as God through His providence is sanctifying them. Okay, So your purpose is to grow in Christ-likeness. It's to become a whole lot less like you and a whole lot more like Christ. One more way that this is said in, in the New Testament, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, we're thinking about callings and purposes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It just means to be set apart. It means to recognize that God has set you apart for His specific purposes. And for you to... Um, live in light of that calling means that you recognize I am not my own God. I do not get to call the shots. I've been bought with a price. And now my purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ in my flesh. So purpose... Purpose. If we don't start with purpose, then it's hard to put the rest of the puzzle together. Samson had a clear purpose and calling. Brothers and sisters, you have a clear purpose and calling. But as it relates to the life of Samson, you don't have to get very far at all. As a matter of fact, we get... Uh, two verses before we see Samson has no regard for that calling at all. Verses 24 and 25 let us know he was born. They let us know that he grew. 
They let us know the Lord blessed him and the Lord's spirit was on him. And then from chapters 14 through 16, you see one decision after the next that displays a complete disregard for God's calling in his life. Now, let's start here as it relates to pride. There is absolutely no doubt that Samson had a clear understanding of God's purpose and calling on his life. And we know that because in Judges chapter 16, verse 17, he lets Delilah know that God had set him apart to be a Nazarite from his birth. Okay, so there was no confusion in Samson's mind as to what it was and how it was he was supposed to be living. But the problem was, Samson being being just uh, consumed with pride had absolutely no regard for what God had called him to. Thomas Watson says this about pride. Pride seeks to un-God God. Pride seeks to un-God God. And who do you think pride fills the void with as we seek to knock God off the throne of our heart? Well, we've got a perfect replacement, right? It's us. I mean, I'm not seeking to un-God God in my life so I can let you be God for me. Pride is so subtle and goes undetected so often. It has a blinding effect, really. But while the manifestations may vary, the theme song is always the same. You know better. You know better. You know better than God. You know better than the folks in your church. You know better than the authorities that the Lord has placed over you. You know better than Scripture. You're the exception. Your gifts are meant to be used for something else. That's pride's theme song. You remember what Samson's calling and purpose was? He was called to be a Nazarite which meant, number one, no alcohol. Well, what we're going to do is go through, and I'm just going to highlight um, Samson's intentional violation of every, every one of these things. Called to not drink alcohol or consume anything that was used in making alcohol. And yet, in Judges chapter 14, verse 10, um, we read that uh, Samson, so in verse 14, 1, he finds this uh, Philistine that he wants to marry, uh, tells his father to go get the lady for him. And, and in, in uh, verse 10, it says, his father went down unto the woman and Samson made there a feast for so used the young men to do. This was like an engagement feast. Um, and these feasts, that were thrown uh, were really it was a week long drinking party, usually held in the home of the of the bride's parents. Samson here is gathered with his new companions from the Philistines, and they're celebrating his engagement, and he's neglecting the commitment that the Lord had called him to. 
Secondly, Samson was called to avoid contact with dead bodies. Called to avoid the uh, contact with dead bodies. Now, this is where some of what would kind of be the cool um, details of the story are really uh, brought forth to highlight Samson's pride and arrogance. So you remember early on, Samson is walking uh, down the way and a lion comes out to attack him and Samson, with his bare hands, kills the animal. Well, that, that wasn't a violation. I mean, that was he could do that. But then he's walking back down the path. And do you remember what Samson does whenever he finds that dead carcass that's full of bees and honey? Here's the man who knew God's intended purpose for my life is that I do not even come close to a dead carcass, much less touch one. And he scoops his hand into the carcass and begins to eat. And then he scoops a little more and takes it home. Brothers and sisters, that's not neat. That's pride. What about this? You remember, again, this is one of the cool, cool details of, of Samson's life story. Samson faces a thousand Philistines and kills them all. You remember what he used to kill them? The jawbone of a donkey. That's a cool little detail aside from the fact that Samson was in direct disobedience to God when he picked up that jawbone because it made him unclean. He took the Nazarite vow to abstain from being close to or in contact with any dead carcass. Now you say, well, God's providence has to play something in there, doesn't it? Yes, we'll get there. But God's providence does not eliminate the fact that Samson is in direct disobedience as he does that. Second, I'm sorry, third, this is the most obvious one. Samson was called to never cut his hair. And in Judges chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, we find Samson foolishly telling Delilah the key to his strength as she then later cuts his hair. Um, you know, this is something that you already know this, but just by way of application, you know, pride makes you so stupid, doesn't it? I mean, you can't read chapter 17 and think Samson was a very sharp guy. Delilah is saying, give me the key to your strength. And Samson is making stuff up for a while, but she's doing everything he's telling her. And then after the fourth or fifth time, Samson gives her the truth. And we know that whenever he woke up and went out to face the Philistines, he didn't know that the Lord, the spirit of the Lord had left him. And so it's almost like he's surprised that she actually went through and tried what he told her. Well, the point of that is not to is, is not to highlight how stupid Samson was. It's really to highlight how stupid we can be when we're operating out of a character that is controlled by pride and selfish ambition. You see, there's other other manifestations we see whenever we uh, look at Samson's purpose and his disregard for it. So not only did he disregard the Nazarite vow that he had been given from birth, 
But secondly, remember Samson was called to deliver Israel from the Philistines? He was to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. His gifts, his calling was not for him, it was for them. And yet, in Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, rather than delivering Israel from the Philistines, he wants to marry a Philistine. Judges 14, 10 through 11, rather than delivering Israel from the Philistines, he's feasting and making companions with the Philistines. Judges chapter 16, verse 1, rather than delivering Israel from the Philistines, he's being sexually immoral with a Philistine prostitute. And then Judges chapter 16, verse 4, rather than delivering Israel from the Philistines, he's falling in love with Delilah. It's pitiful, isn't it? It's pride. Some other manifestations here. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. We've talked about this or mentioned it uh, just a minute ago, but you know, Samson's hair is, uh, Delilah cuts his hair and she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he gets up and in his mind, he's saying, I'm going to go out like I have before and I'm going to take care of these Philistines. And then you have that little parenthetical phrase, he did not know, he wist not The Spirit of the Lord was not with him. Samson was presumptuous about the blessings of God. He had spent his entire life disobeying what God had called him to, thinking it was no big deal. And it wasn't until it was. We said this whenever we were preaching through Daniel, but it fits here. Samson might have been ignoring God, but God was not ignoring him. Last manifestation of pride is really the end of Samson's life. We read it to start out. Samson is praying that the Lord would bless him to be able to push those pillars over. And and look at verse 28. I mean, this is where Samson is. After... After Samson has um, blatantly ignored God's calling for his life, blatantly violated God's purpose for his life, this is Samson's prayer. 16.28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Who's Samson thinking about? Samson, the man who was gifted to be the deliverer of Israel, the one who should have been destroying the Philistines, is now the prisoner of the Philistines. He's the one who should have been the symbol of the glory of God and the blessings of God among the nation of Israel. And he squandered all of that. He comes to the end of his life and he doesn't say, Lord, avenge yourself. He says, Lord, avenge me. Well, 
this passage gives us a clear picture of Samson's heart of pride. Every other heart that refuses to live in accordance to God's revealed purposes. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You'll remember if you were here uh, when we looked at that, the, the word there is, is in italics. So really the text is, the fool has said in his heart, no God. No God, you will not rule over me. No God, I will not obey you. No God, I will not observe your ways. No I'm sure Samson, like us, I'm sure Samson had all the excuses in the world. He falls in love with the Philistines. Well, you can't really help who you fall in love with, can you? We alluded to this at the beginning, but this is a good place to say it. I don't care how gifted you are the strength and the usefulness of your life will never exceed the development of your character. I don't care how gifted you are. A lot of gifted people in this room. The strength and the usefulness of your life will never exceed the development of your character. Many gifted pastors have ruined their ministries because their character didn't match or wasn't developed in a way to make their gift useful long term. Many gifted Christians end up squandering their life. And it's not because they weren't given any uh, ways to contribute. It's because they didn't have the character to steward the gift that they'd actually been given. Brothers and sisters, God's gifts and blessings are always to help you fulfill your purpose. They are never to excuse you or distract you from it. Samson never learned that lesson. And the man who should have been a hero really ends up being a joke when you look at the synopsis of his life. So we have purpose. We have pride. The third, passion. Passion. Samson was a man who uh, was fully devoted to following his own heart. You know, it's been said as far as the Christian goes, you really have two choices. You can be uh, you can live your life operating out of a heart that is, uh, or operating out of a character that is feelings oriented or commandment oriented. <laughs> that is, you can make your decisions based on what God's word says or based on how you feel. And, and those two paths look like this. Samson had a clear understanding of what God's word said, but he decided to follow his heart instead. We get that, and uh, I mean, I'm not even going to hit all the times you see this show up in Judges, but look in Judges 14. Uh, remember, he's supposed to be delivering from the Philistines. Instead, he's going down to try to marry a Philistine. 
Um, he's in direct violation of God's will. He knows that. And this is what he says in Judges 14.3, his father and his mother say unto him, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Why, Samson? Why, after you already know this is not what God has purposed for your life, why, after your father and mother are rebuking you and saying, let us find someone among your own people, why would you ignore all of that? And here's the answer. Because she pleases me, that's why. I want her, that's why. I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin against you and sin against God to get it. You get into Judges chapter 14, verse 19. This is the conclusion of the little episode where uh, Samson is feasting with his new Philistine companions. He decides to give them a riddle, knowing that they will never find out or never figure out what it is. Um, and then it turns out that through um, uh, manipulation, they figure out the answer to this riddle. And, uh, and they win. They win. And this is what we read in verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that is Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which, exp uh, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. Here's Samson killing these 30 men. And you want to know why he killed them? Because his anger was kindled, that's why. Because he lost a bet. You say, well, I thought Samson was supposed to be delivering Israel from the Philistines anyway. Well, yeah, he was. That was God's purpose. And while the Lord may have used this to that, to that purpose, we'll think about that when we get to the providence side, it was in spite of Samson's deficiencies Samson killed these men because they beat him in a bet, essentially. Or you get to Judges chapter 15, verse 11. Okay, Samson cools off. He goes back to get his wife, who he finds out has been given to another companion. So he gets mad, goes and gathers a bunch of foxes, ties two, two together by their tails, you know, ties them all two by two together and lets them go and, and burns down the fields. And then Samson's people come to him and say, what are you doing? Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? And in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, uh, I'm doing to them what they did to me. And that's uh, really the way that's laid out in Scripture. That's, that's just another way of saying, well, they hit me first. They hit me first. 
See, this isn't a God-honoring thing in the sense of Samson wasn't doing this because he had the glory of God in mind. It wasn't uh, that he was being motivated or moved by this desire to fulfill his calling. Samson says, they hit me and I hit them back. It wasn't the Philistines will learn not to um, dishonor God. It was these Philistines will learn, you don't mess with Samson. It's the heart of passion. And then Judges chapter 16, verse 4, he goes down to Delilah and the text clearly tells us he loved a woman named Delilah. He loved her. I'm talking about a pursuing heart, right? You know that while Samson had great physical strength and is widely known as being as far as Old and New Testament, one of the strongest, probably the strongest character in Scripture. You know that at the same time, he's also one of the wimpiest men the Bible has to tell us about. Samson never won a single spiritual battle that Scripture tells us about. He lost every one of them. You want to know why? Because he never learned self-control. He never learned self-control. Whatever Samson wanted, he pursued. Whatever he felt like was his driving force. Proverbs um, chapter 16, verse 32 tells us that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit, this is self-control, than he that taketh a city. He that rules his own spirit is better, mightier, than he that can take a city. Samson never had self-control. He was a man that was devoted to following his heart. And as we've looked at uh, the Psalms over the past several months, we've, we've brought this up multiple times. But... Rather than Scripture encouraging you along with the rest of the world to follow your heart, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 commands you to guard your heart. Keep it with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. That is, you better keep a check on your desires. You better filter those things through the lens of Scripture. Why? Because Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful. They will fool us every time. And so guard your heart. Proverbs 23, 19 calls us to guide our heart in the way. How do we do that? Well, again, we do that through Scripture. We, we become attracted to something. We, we are tempted to pursue something. And rather than operating out of a character that is feeling-oriented, that is, I want and so I go, we operate out of a character that is commandment or word-oriented. That is, I want, I test, I discern, and then I decide. 1 John chapter 2. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. A couple of things out of this passage. Number one, according to 1 John 2.10, you can control what you love. This is a command of what you should not be loving. It's what John MacArthur calls the kind of love that God hates. That is, love of the world. He breaks it down, John does, into three categories. That is, um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay? The lust of the flesh. That's what we've been really talking about as we've thought about passion in the heart. That's just what I want. Lust of the flesh, what I want. Saying, don't let that be a motivating factor. Don't let that be your chief motivating driver. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. That is not necessarily what I want. It's what I lack. It's what you have that I don't. It, it, it's the jealousy that drives us. And then third, the pride of life. That is how I look. To you, that is. This is really man-pleasing. Me trying to present myself as something I'm not. Me trying to, to cultivate a particular image of myself for the world to see that's not real. Why would we do any of those things? Because we love the world, we want the world, and we try, we're trying to impress the world. This is a heart that's operating out of passion. And again, I don't care who you are, myself included. I don't care how gifted you are. If you don't get your heart under control, you will waste your life. Your life will be pitiful in relation to God's intended purpose. Again, Samson, a man who was gifted, who was called to deliver Israel from the Philistines. dies the defeated entertainment of the Philistines. Why? Because he followed his heart. So we have purpose, pride, passion, and then providence. Providence. It's, it's very clear that God's providence is at work in the life of Samson. But the question is, how do we understand this? So let's first see in Judges chapter 14 that it's clear God's providence is working. Judges chapter 14. Again, Samson goes down, sees a woman that he loves, his parents are, are a woman that he wants to take for his wife. His parents are trying to talk him out of it. And then in Judges 14 verse 4, the, the, the narrator says, 
But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Okay, so now the question is, how do we understand this? How do we understand this? Does the fact that that God is providentially working and moving here erase the fact that Samson is blatantly ignoring what God had called him to do? And so this is the age-old question of how do we understand the balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? Right. So first, I would just say this. Um, if we're trying to think about how to balance out God's sovereignty with man's responsibility, we're thinking wrong from the very beginning. Man's responsibility and God's sovereignty do not balance each other out. Okay. Man's responsibility exists within the realm of God's sovereignty. Okay, so these aren't two things trying to balance each other. This, this is one thing that exists within the realm of another. Um, a man named Henry Scudder gave some good, uh, a good word of caution as it, came, as it relates to kind of trying to unravel this. He says, In seeking to know the secrets and mysteries of God and godliness, you must not pry into them further than God has revealed. For if you wade in further than you have sure footing in His holy word, you will presently lose yourself and be swallowed up in a maze and whirlpool of errors and heresies. These deep things of God must be understood with sobriety according to that clear light which God has given you by His word. And so as we try to think through this and and understand it, We've got to begin with what we know. We've got to begin with what we know. If we start there, then really this whole subject is not as mysterious as sometimes we make it. So here's what we know. And um, we're going further than the Old Testament, but we, we, we wouldn't necessarily have to. But here's some clear principles that we know from Scripture. Number one, out of James chapter 1, Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Truth number one, God does not tempt people to sin. You know what that means? That means that Judges chapter 14, verse 4 is not saying that God tempted Samson to marry this Philistine. Whatever else is saying, it's not saying that. Now, we take our second principle and we can make a little more sense out of this. That's out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God is working all things together for good for those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. God doesn't tempt people to sin. But God does override our sin and use it for His purposes. And we see that in Samson's life. Think about it from uh, the perspective that Joseph gives to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, But as for you, 
you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So Joseph says this, his brothers were responsible for their sin. And God did not cause them to sin, but He did allow it. And He used it for His good purpose in the unfolding of redemptive history that was far bigger and far greater than Joseph and his brothers. When we're thinking about the Old Testament, God's overarching purpose that He is committed to is the coming of Christ. You want to know why God sent Joseph to Egypt? It wasn't primarily for Joseph. It wasn't even primarily for the people of Israel in that day. It was because in the unfolding of redemptive history, this would be the lineage that the Savior would come through. And so if we're thinking about God's ultimate purposes, it can help us in this area. And this is illustrated in the life of Samson. So if you go back through and you read Judges 13 through uh, 16, and you take note of the times that it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson, it happens three times. Uh, number one, it happens whenever Samson kills the lion. Okay, and I'm, I'm just going to have to guess at this one, but uh, perhaps... God does this uh, to confirm His blessings on Samson the same way He did with David. You remember what gave David so much courage as he went up against Goliath? You remember the story that he told? He faced a lion, he faced a bear, and he was able to kill both of those. It was something that God used to strengthen his courage. And so perhaps that's what he was doing as he killed uh, the lion. But secondly, in uh, 14.19... The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. This is after he loses, essentially he loses the bet, you know, this riddle with the Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and he kills 30 Philistines. Did he kill them for the glory of God? No, he killed them because he lost a bet. Or in chapter 15, 14 through 15, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and he kills a thousand Philistines. Well, do you remember what God's purpose was for Samson's life? You remember what he had called him to? He was supposed to be delivering Israel from the Philistines. Really what we find in Judges chapter 13, verse 16 is not that Samson is this heroic guy who's doing God's work. It's that God's faithfulness and God's providence is overriding Samson's sinfulness and foolishness in order to accomplish his greater purposes in redemptive history. When you see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson, it is equipping Samson to accomplish the purpose for which he was called to begin with. What you find is God's providence does not spare Samson the suffering of the consequences of his sinful and foolish actions. Because despite God's providence, Samson is responsible for violating his will. 
And so one of the things that we learn as far as God's providence, man's responsibility as it relates to Samson's life. Brothers and sisters, you can choose to sin, but you can't choose the consequences of your sin. The man who should have been the hero of Israel. The man who, who, who should have been a light. That's what the name Samson means. It means a son, S-U-N. Dies with his eyes plucked out in darkness as the not the champion of the Philistines, the entertainer of the Philistines, who when he kills the many at the end is crushed right along with them. And so really, as we consider Samson's life, it illustrates for us what it looks like when somebody becomes their own hero. It's what it looks like when somebody gets distracted with the gifts and blessings that they've been given and they have zero regard for the God who's given them to them. What do we do with a guy like Samson? Well, you know, funny enough, Samson makes it into Hebrews chapter 11. Isn't that something? Gideon, Samson... And the truth is, Samson couldn't have done the things that he had done had he not had faith. We see traces of faith through the book. At the end, even though it was for the wrong motive, he's praying to God. Even though he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, it takes faith to take on a thousand Philistines that way. And so the portrait here is not really the portrait of a uh, reprobate who just couldn't get it right. The portrait here is of a man who was gifted and blessed by God. And if we move over into New Testament language, it's a man who let Satan, John chapter 10, the, the thief, kill, steal, and destroy. Brothers and sisters, you're not above that, and I'm not either. Samson gets to the end of his life, and it can really be characterized the same way King Saul, who was another gifted man, characterized his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21, when he said to David, Behold, I have played the fool. Behold, I've played the fool. I should have been ruling a kingdom and I've been looking through caves for a man who doesn't even want to destroy me. Behold, I've played the fool. I've wasted my life. Well, we'll close in John 10. I've already made reference to it. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. We made this point not too long ago, as it relates to the thief, that's a reference to Satan. 
You know, Satan is not out to try to scare you or spook you. Satan's primary task is not to make you scared when you go to bed and you're in the dark and you think about a spooky movie. Satan is trying to deceive you. Satan is trying to allure you away from God's intended purpose for your life. Satan is trying to convince you that you really are smarter than all those morons that you know who are trying to encourage you and help you. Satan is trying to convince you that everybody else doesn't understand the special perspective that God's given you. And when you get behind all of that, Satan is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy the gifts and blessings that God has given you to serve His kingdom with. And in contrast, Christ says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So brothers and sisters, as we consider Samson's life, a life that was wasted, may we consider our own lives. And in light of John chapter 10, may we turn to Him, that is Christ, may we trust Him, and may we follow Him living a life of denying self and pursuing Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, uh, we thank You for Scripture and we, just, we have to acknowledge just the sobering uh, reality that we see in front of us as we consider Samson's life. A man who was given so many gifts a man who had the potential of being greatly used. And while you still used him in spite of himself, Father, his life was was pitiful. We have to acknowledge we see a lot of Samson in our own lives. Our lack of self-control, our tendency to be consumed with what you've given us, to forget that you've called us to use our gifts and blessings to serve and and instead, we uh, were distracted by those, even enamored by those, thinking that we did them ourselves. Father, would you open our eyes? Would you bless us to see the pride that lurks in our hearts? Would you bless us to turn from the passions that would lead us astray? And Father, would you bless us to submit to you, to love you, and to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.